What's up, people? Jay's World is back on deck after an extended Christmas break, something like that. We're going to look at the election aftermath leading up to the inauguration of President Joseph Robinette Biden, but first an update. In August, my mother checked herself into the hospital one day after her birthday. She's basically bounced from hospital bed to rehab facility since then. She had congestive heart failure. In 2016, she had a triple bypass heart surgery. They told her at that point, she basically had about a year left. But here we are and it's 2021. Right after Christmas, a second cardiologist recommended hospice care. And on January 4th, I moved her to my house under hospice care. If anyone knows anything about me from the 1990s, I played football and basketball at Antioch High School while wearing number 15. 15 is a very special number to me. My mother died on Friday, January 15th. So now, mama's gone. So now I'm back to producing content. I'm back in work mode. And people are listening to me in 19 different countries. I don't know people in 19 countries, but Jay's world is getting listens all across the globe. I salute you, and I hope I'm providing something you can enjoy. To that point, November 3rd was an entire week. The aftermath was exhausting, and then January 6th was eye-opening. The attack on the Capitol was an attack on our American democracy, no matter who you voted for. And January 20th has come and gone, but the sun continues to rise, which is irony because the country is minus 45 this week. The temperature is changing, but what does that mean? Let's talk about it. I have seven people with us for this episode, seven people, men and women, young and let's say older, seven different perspectives after the soothing voice of my homegirl, Angie McGee out of Atlanta. You're listening to Jay's World Podcast. You can email the show and suggest topics for an upcoming episode. Email jay at j.gilmore at memphis.edu. Jay's World rolls on with a bunch of amazing people. From Middle Tennessee State, we have Cabarius. Cabarius has been with me for a while, so he's going to give us some thoughts on some different topics today. Cyrus Seacander from the University of Memphis. She's a star, and she has some great viewpoints. Alex Stevens, he's a law guy. He loves law. Alex Stevens out of UTK, Knoxville, Tennessee. We also have Matt Menard, who's another law guy. Jordan Johnson, a law lady from WVU and Duquesne University, and Roya James, who I know through some elections and things like that in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, Rutherford County. So I'll start with you, Miss Roya James. What's going through your mind as you watch this week's inauguration? For me, it was really just filled with a lot of excitement um, because we're witnessing history. <laughs> um, we got to witness the first black, and I think um, it's Asian American, if I'm not mistaken, um, woman vice president and that's something that I never thought that I would ever see definitely something that I know that my parents or my grandparents ever thought that they would see I mean it was shocking when we experienced the first black president but um it's been it's it's been very exciting just to witness that so for those of you out there in podcast land I record this by way of video but I only published the audio. So the beautiful Jordan Johnson is down here and she is clapping when we talked about the African-American Asian vice president. Jordan, express your excitement seeing that take place. Well, I just, you know, 
I was so excited when Joe picked Kamala. I thought that that was a great choice for him to run with. Um, he promised to pick a woman and it's even better that he picked a woman of color. I think that that is just the perfect choice. That's what we need in our country. We need representation and representation matters. And so getting to see her standing up there and being sworn in by Justice Sotomayor, it was just incredible. And I know that so many little girls out there now can look at the vice president and say, wow, she looks like me. And for so long, you know, there were little girls across the country who couldn't do that. And it's just, I think, a historic moment for the United States. And it gets closer to having what everybody would like to see, I think, as well, which is a woman president. So hopefully that will be sometimes in our future. I hope that I get to see it. Um, so I'm just really excited about all of it. So I was absolutely excited. I was watching the entire thing. Um, first of all, I just like how they actually got this set up correctly like after just coming from a big riot from last Wednesday they actually um set up this inauguration very perfectly everyone was social distance um my favorite part was the guy that was wiping down the podium every five say that was hilarious I was like this is must-see tv um but other than that I was um very I will say a little bit overwhelmed um because this is literally watching history being made like this is literally from Obama now, you know, VP Harris, it's, it's beautiful to see. And I think, you know, they did it very perfectly when setting everything up. We also have a guest from Middle Tennessee State University, an audio production major, Jalen James, who's been keeping a tight eye on everything going down. Jalen, you watched the inauguration. What were your thoughts? Uh, I thought it was a, it was a good day. We uh, defeated someone that definitely needed to be out of office. Uh, I feel like the country is a little bit safer than it was uh, before. And uh, hopefully we will see some civility in the future. So it's a little bit of hope, a little bit of, uh, you know, I don't want people to be complacent, you know, so I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to ruin anyone's day, but also I don't want people to feel like this is the end, you know, the end of history, you know, this is the stopping point. What kind of emotions did you have when you saw the VP become vice president like what was going through your mind at that point man whenever i first heard about the pick because uh i'm kind of i follow politics very closely so i follow a lot of the senators i follow a lot of the journalists and whatnot so i heard about the pick like the minute it happened and when i first heard about it i was kind of shocked because kamala is a little bit further left than uh joe biden's kind of center right you know down the run-of-the-mill Democrat sort of uh, spiel. But I was also excited, you know, moreover because of the representation, you know, for those of us who aren't as politically uh, active, it is a huge stepping stone. It means something that, you know, uh, a black woman could be in the highest office of the land, you know, in 2020. It says something about uh, the country and where we are at, you know, as far as progress is concerned. Now, when we get past the celebratory event that took place to, uh, on Wednesday, the inauguration Wednesday, what do you look back on in terms of it's not a it's not a party, you know, like that that day, that Wednesday, we're partying, but overall, not a party. Tell us why. Four hundred thousand dead of COVID, and you know, uh, restrictions being lifted every day. Uh, we have a economic crisis that's looming 
due to the shutdowns that happened earlier. Uh, this is just because of overspeculation on the market, you know, uh, different economic factors of uh, the blowback, so to speak, of, you know, giving people $2,000 checks, you know, that, that's not exactly just free money. Uh, we have to earn back said money. Um, and then on top of that, the white supremacy and domestic terrorism elements of the Trump base are not just going to go away. You know, if you believed in the QAnon conspiracy theories, you're not just going to up and not believe those things because someone lost an election somewhere. So although we have given uh, Trump institutional legitimacy for four years, uh, I don't think it's, in, it's his institutional legitimacy that makes him dangerous. Now, elaborate on that. What do you think it is specifically? He's out of office. What do you think he has going for him now that still makes him dangerous? Um, the fact that he is no longer in the mainstream. A lot of people think that this is a good thing and that, you know, he, he propagated divisiveness and conspiracy theories. But when, as we can see with the alt-right movement and uh, other neo-Nazi groups, when these gr people are cast out of society, so to speak, it only um, bolsters their point, you know? they had to kick us out because our point was right. You see that thought process and it almost acts as a recruiting tool for the far right. And uh, I think that that's more dangerous about Trump not winning the election. Good stuff, Jalen, man. Thanks a lot. You're listening to Jay's World Podcast. Jay's World is brought to you by 5G Media and Gilmore Financial Services. Do you need your taxes done? Contact GFS at Gilmore Financial Services at Comcast.net. Syra, what were your thoughts about the inauguration as it came after the January 6th date? Did you think we would get to January 20th, not have any issues, or were you expecting some violence to show itself? If I'm being completely honest, I expected something to break out. I expected something, anything to happen. Um, I'm really glad that it didn't. And I was following the news closely, like on my laptop when I was watching the inauguration, just to see if any other news networks were reporting in their own cities, if something was like breaking out. And like, thankfully nothing happened. Like everyone had anticipated it like to happen, but yeah, I was genuinely thinking the worst, but I'm glad that it didn't like work out that way. And it was refreshing to see that they actually did get out of their limos and walk like Pennsylvania Ave and did like the whole nine yards, fist bump people. Like it was really refreshing to see it. I can honestly say back in uh, 2008, I had nerves watching President Obama's inauguration. I did not know that we would get through it as we did. I had those same nerves as I watched President Biden being sworn in. I was just hoping nothing negative came to pass and it didn't. Let's go back to early November, Matt. In terms of the election, what was your thought process on election night and how did your emotions move left to right as the days went on and we didn't have a definite winner? Well, uh, I was certainly very anxious the entire time, definitely took a chunk out of my schoolwork because it was just hard not to, to follow along with. And what was kind of unsettling was how like scripted and well played it played out all that everything that happened between November and January 6th you could see in the summer, as soon as you know Trump, the administration were slamming mail-in ballots and discouraging them and things like that. You install Louis DeJoy and got the post office. Um, you knew that he was 
trying to cripple the mail-in process and discredit it as much as he could. So when he lost, because again, his I think before this pandemic, I was very worried he would get reelected, but his handling of COVID, I, I believe, was one of the nails in the coffin. Um, but it was very, after the election, when he started making his fraud claims and going to court, uh, you know, he's picked one fourth of the federal judiciary in this nation and three Supreme Court justices. And those judges on 50 or 60 occasions laughed him out of the courtroom. So there was never a time when I thought he might have something, this election could be overturned. I knew regardless, Biden would be certified as the winner. I was more worried about the misinformation campaign and him speaking to his base and uh, the violence and doubt he could incite in attempting a coup. And that was something I was worried about from a, before the election all the way through January 6th. And it was just a, a culmination of all of that. Alex, have you had a chance to take a breath throughout this process? And when did that breath finally come? Did it come this week with the inauguration? Um, I'm still kind of waiting because uh, as it's 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 still I'm I'm glad that nothing has happened since January 6th. I hate that January 6th happened. Uh, I can say I'm not surprised given the rhetoric and um, it was it was just sto it was stoked perfectly. Uh, it, it was it was perfectly laid. It was it was if you if you want to if you want to set a fire, it was done perfectly. Um, so and I'm still I'm still a little nervous and a little leery of that kind of that kind of after. But you know you have a fire and then it dies down and then it pops back up again. I'm I'm still I'm still a little nervous. You, give me give me give me another week or two. I might feel better. But uh, I, I'm I still haven't really breathed yet. <laughs> but I, I'm I'm getting there. Roya, I know from a personal conversation with you that you take this election process seriously. Why are you so strong in your values concerning the voting process and the election process in general? I grew up in, in um, a household who, from a, as a child, they always took me to go vote um, with them in the election and I was with them. So I grew up um, experiencing the election process and um, the importance of voting and so um, another thing that I realized was that there were not a lot of people that looked like me working in election polls. And I wanted people to have accurate information. I wanted people to be encouraged and to want to go vote and to understand that their voice um, really does count. So, you know, that's, it's, it's just always been a part of who I am. I turned 42 in December and the year 2020 was the first year I ever voted. And I've always felt like my vote does not matter. I feel today that my vote still does not matter, but I felt that the rhetoric coming from the White House demanded that I at least try to use my voice. And I'm gonna tell you why your vote does matter. <laughs> because we experienced um, races as close as the one that was in Georgia. Now, um, if people have feels the same way that you feel about your vote not mattering, the election could have been a totally different way. And so, I want to encourage anybody who feels like their vote does not matter, that it definitely matters. Every vote absolutely counts. You don't want to be a Monday morning quarterback. If I'm going to look at the TV and complain, I can only complain if I have put my voice out there in the race. You know what I'm saying? Like, what am I complaining for if I haven't done anything? I haven't exercised my constitutional right to to be heard. So I did do that. And it turned out that my candidate who I really 
don't necessarily care for in general. I don't care for Republican. I don't care for Democrat. I just care for humanity. And I felt like Joe Biden provided humanity. So I feel like my candidate happened to win. But there are other 70 plus million people who now feel like they were robbed in this process. What do you say to them, Alex, as we try to get unity in this country? I would, I would point to the same arguments that they've used since the dawn of this nation, that it was founded on the Constitution, that Constitution has rules and regulations for how we govern this nation. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But we have always had the Constitution to follow. Has it been perfect? No. That's why we have amendments. That's why we have changes. We, we still have a long way to get things right. But as a document, it was set up to help make us the best nation in the world. So just because you lost, don't try to take your ball and go home. You still got to play this same game. We don't need another you know, civil war over anything that's happened. We need to stay strong, stay together. Hey, four more years, you can go vote again and try next time. Syra, what encourages you about this current administration that we as nine different individuals from nine different backgrounds can come together and also other states and the entire country can come together and we can move past this uh, moment we've been in for a while now? I think Alex kind of hit it on the head when it's just the fact of like, this is the values that America was built on. These are the values that continue to go today. And I mean, I think one of the moments when watching the inauguration was when um, Biden had quoted Abraham Lincoln from when he was um, making the speech on the Emancipation Proclamation, right? So it's like those same sentiments that was happening back then, you can see them in the country today, right? But you need to recognize your faults. You need to recognize that, okay, maybe we did some things wrong and we need to pick ourselves back up and continue. Like there's no point in just sitting down and as like four years ago when Trump won, they were calling the people that didn't vote for Trump and were upset, like saying, oh, you guys are gonna riot, your snowflakes are X, Y, and Z. But it's like, now it's like Trump didn't even come to the inauguration, right? So it's recognizing that you win some, yeah. you lose some. That's just the way it is. That's the way the country was built. And you just keep going. Um, and I think with this administration, like it gives me a little bit of hope that like, for me personally, right, they like finally lifted the Muslim ban and someone who for four years had to hear about the Muslim ban and I like recognize myself as a Muslim woman, it was so disheartening, right? And so those people who were Trump supporters feeling disheartened now, it's like, well, I just faced that for four years. You can come back in four years and vote again if you don't like it, so. <laughs> Jordan, are you encouraged this week? I am. I. Um... I'm just really excited. I think the main thing that I have really struggled with the last four years is just the disinformation and the falsities that were constantly spread by the Trump administration. It was just so frustrating to constantly hear the lies that he would tell over and over again. And so I feel like today kind of felt like a breath of fresh air because I think that we're going to have truth as a value that our president holds close. And that's been something that I haven't been able to say in four years. And so that's something that, you know, is important to me. And I think it's important to so many other people is that we're being told the truth. And I think that President Biden is going to do that. Um, and I think that if he doesn't, people will call him on it because they've gotten tired of just being fed lies for four years. So I think that that's something that I, you know, felt like today was really important. 
Um, I also think that the handling of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic with the Trump administration has been horrible. Um, so I'm glad now that we have a new commander in chief who is who cares about science. Um, he follows the advice of medical experts and epidemiologists. Um, so hopefully we can get this pandemic under control and wrapped up so we can have some sense of normalcy again. Matt, when we talk about a sense of normalcy, can this country be healed? I mean, it's a tough process. And I guess it kind of starts with what do you consider healed? Because a big thing I've thought about this year is I, at least I personally, and I know a lot of other people do not want to see this country just go back to 2019, back to our old ways. Because I think in a way, 2020 was a mirror that really exposed a lot of our ugliest flaws, whether it be who's in power or just, you know, the principles that our country was founded on and how flawed some of those are. So it's not necessarily getting back to normal in that sense of healing, it's moving towards a new direction. Um, and I think the toughest part of that is gonna be deprogramming because these people that, and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for especially the, you know, the terrorists who stormed the Capitol, uh, the QAnon mess, all of that, you know, your Marjorie Taylor Greens. I mean, those are people that are so far gone, I don't see how we unify with them. Uh, they would, on, if we're being honest, I personally would like to just cut them out and move on. But if we are going to move on with them, it's going to take some serious deprogramming. And I, I truly don't know how you do that when President Trump has spent the last four years completely discrediting the media and anything that's negative. So these people need deprogrammed and where they would get that information, they don't trust because their Supreme Leader told them not to. So I'm hopeful, but uh, we'll have to see. So when he talks about it, depends on what you call healing, Cabarius. Here's healing to me. I care about other people, but I'm, I have to live in this body. When I go to a white shooting range, I don't want to feel uncomfortable. When my black children go to school, I don't want them to feel uncomfortable. And I feel like we were leading, leaning toward that type of civil unrest, like it's problematic to be black. It's always been problematic, but damn, it got a little bit better. I felt like it was better. I'm a professor. I got a prestigious job, but when it comes to cops, it's still problematic. But now I feel like it was becoming a situation where it becomes my fellow neighbor, my fellow person down the street. Can we heal in that regard, Cabarius, in terms of race relations? Um, I believe that it is room for it, but you really can't force anyone to really heal you know what I'm saying like that's literally like a process that someone has to do individually it's like if someone is on drugs or someone's an alcoholic that's literally their issue that they have to just come to realization themselves and be like I want to change I want something different I want to see a new lifestyle I want to do better so and I really do feel like racism is a disease so that's something that you have to handle within like conversations and try to make it a comfortable space for someone to share because there's a reason sometimes people literally is raised into racism and don't know exactly how their actions or reactions um, deal with different people in different communities. So um, it's like an old lifestyle type of thing that this is 2021, people are different nowadays and you're just gonna have to get used to it or you're just gonna have to change within. Some people just don't like change. So when it comes to healing, it's all about really educating people and actually having that conversation to sit down and make it a comfortable space for everyone to just discuss about how we can move forward and 
I feel like personally my um, moving forward is trying to change laws around here. The constitution is still based on their laws off of things in the 1800s and black people weren't even considered human during those times. So that's why they treat black people any type of way. So until we can get to that conversation and start, you know, making America not even back, but recreate in America what it should be in today's society, that's the only way we can move on and heal. Sarah, we're all aware of the historical moment with uh, Kamala's selection, Kamala Harris being chosen as VP. But when he talks about laws and policy, I know that you've had some issues with her prior laws and policy. Speak on some of those for us. So while I don't, I want to say that everything she does is extremely historic, right? She was the first Black district attorney. She was the first Black attorney general of California. Like those are historic things, not to take that away. She was a minority, the whole nine yards. She's an amazing woman. That being said, her resume is a little controversial, right? Because like, if you think about the timeline and everything, like this, when she went back to California and decided that she wanted to become a prosecutor, that was like at the end of like, or the beginning when Clinton had just made the 1994 crime bill and things like that. Why are all you guys smarter than me? All of you are just smarter than me. Go ahead, go ahead. But like, so she's, everything she's done historically has been great. It's just, it's a little problematic, right? Cause her intentions, while she keeps saying it that like they're in the right place and everything like that, she went back and instead of becoming a defense attorney she decided to become a prosecutor. And she talks about it in her book as well that you know, she went back to her neighborhood and everyone was like, yeah, we don't think this is a good idea. <laughs> and so, but she was still vocal and she was very loud. It's just, to me, she's one of those people who always puts like personal responsibility at the forefront. And even with her like back on track plan and everything like that, it was, you pleaded guilty to your crime and then you got put into a personal responsibility course. You did the program and then it would get like off your record. So things like that, it's, it's just, while I really hope that she is more vocal um, and you know takes actually instead of just reforming things, she rebuilds the system. Um, I just think that her resume is just a little complicated. But again, like she is a historical woman, she has some strides in her area, and she is the first minority Black and Asian female VP, which is a historical moment. It's just her resume kind of iffy with me. So it's just at some point, Alex we do have to take off the kid gloves and hold the president and vice president accountable for the next four years, right? Absolutely. And, and to go back to Cyrus point, I mean, it's, they're people um, and they're, they're people who have ascended to higher positions than any of us through an electoral process. So they're going to go on one street and say they love this street. They're going to go on the next street and say that street's their favorite. And That's my so, thought process. That's my thought process in this whole political landscape. I yeah. view it. I couldn't have said it better. That's how I view all politicians. Yeah, it's and and you you have to take you have to take that with you have to take that for what it is. I mean, I love my mom. Do I love everything my mom does? No. But does that does that make her any less valuable to me as my mother? No. I like Joe Biden. I like Kamala Harris. Do they both have, you know, problematic things or I love every single policy they put out? No, but I am not going to find a candidate who I love every single policy that they put forth. Because I mean, I could go run for something and then I'm like, oh, well, in order to get this, 
I have to go back on one of my own morals in order to get five more people to vote for me, then I don't like myself. So being realistic, like ideally, yes, you could find your perfect candidate, but in this reality and where we presently live today, at least eight, if I can deal with at least 80% of what you like, I'm, I'm good. As long as that 20% isn't something like terrible 20%, you've got my vote. Cause that's about as good as it's going to get. I actually agree with you on that because I think that's what the issue with Trump was is that he wasn't a political person at all he was somebody that just said what he wanted didn't care like he literally made an entire joke out of a virus saying it's a China virus not even getting facts from it Twitter literally had to take him out of their whole account because he would just say some crazy rhetoric that didn't make any sense to anybody and had no factual evidence for anything that he said so I think that's what the big issue was with him is that he wasn't a politician. He wasn't politically correct. And that's what that term comes from, politically correct, where you have to actually say things that is just, you know, uh, cliche or something, you know. But I think that's what Americans were looking for. They, um, people were tired of the politicians, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Like what you said, some are will say one thing on one street and they'll say something totally different on another street. They wanted someone mm -hmm. to speak the exact exactly how they feel or not be as knowledgeable about things in the government system. And so I think that's what, I wasn't necessarily looking for that, but I think um, people were looking for that type of change. Did we think that the change would be the outcome that we saw um, January? Absolutely not. <laughs> we're joined now by retired U.S. Army Sergeant First Class Marcus Dandridge. He served from 1997 to 2017, five combat deployments. So Marcus, I have to ask you, as you're watching on January the 6th and the Capitol was the way it appeared on television to all of us, what was going through your mind? Utter disbelief. Um, it's something that you would see in another country. Um, if someone drop, if, if, if you just drop a person here on earth and based on everything, um, given the U.S. history, they would not believe that this was the United States of America that was, um, that these events were actually happen. So it was just total shock and disbelief. Was there a communication breakdown and why was the Capitol Police not prepared? I don't think they took the threat seriously. Um, the, usually the Capitol Police is very, um, they're very um, professional, very courteous with my experience working with, based on my experience working with them. They're very professional, very courteous and very prepared. Um, I don't, I would, the only thing that I could think of is that they didn't take this threat as a credible threat. Sergeant First Class, here's my last question for you. I wanna know personally, in your opinion, why was there a difference in response to the insurrectionists as opposed to the protesters and rioters from last summer Black Lives Matter movement. I don't know how to tap dance on this one, so I'm just gonna say what I, I'm just gonna say what I'm gonna say. I think it's no secret that um, this that this this nation that we live in, um, racism is one of the cornerstones of this nation. It always has. They they based all and because of that, certain people are expected to act a certain way, and certain people are given the benefit of the doubt when if it was any other if it was any other group that wouldn't have happened if that would have been a black lives matter group they would have that that capital would have been if there would have been 
a line of um, of Capitol Police, National Guard, uh, Army Reservists, active duty. I, I guess they just thought that they was going to be just going to have a, a peaceful protest, you know, sing, sing this land is your land and you know, a couple songs and, you know, wave, wave some flags and all that other stuff. They thought it would have been a totally peaceful protest, but they was totally wrong. They expect that of, of, of Black people and they, they want that to happen. So that way it, it they can fill in their narrative. So they can post it on every, so they can put it on the front page of every newspaper, put it in every, put it in the A block of every new uh, news program, uh, run it through, run it on every social media outlet. That's what, that's what they expected out of us. That's what they wanted out of, that's what they thought we was going to do. They, 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 they look at us as animals. They look at us as people who don't have any common sense of home training. So they, so that's why they, that's why during the Black Lives Matter protests, all we want, all we want is just for them not, all we don't, all we want is just to live. That's all we want. All we want to do is live. Roy, I'm going to give you the last word here in a second, but let me go to you, Jordan, to ask you this question because you're a young lady who uses social media. While you're looking at this electoral process and you're logging on to Twitter every day, I don't know if you have a Facebook, what was going through your head as you watched certain posts from different people, classmates, maybe professors, I don't know, friends, strangers, the landscape just seemed so nasty and so, just so nasty and divisive this entire process. Yeah, I think um, more on Facebook, I would see people that um, would post the most wild conspiracy filled, the hateful things. Um, and I think, I, I think I would have seen more, but during this summer's um, protesting with the Black Lives Matter movement um, after the killing of George Floyd, that was a perfect opportunity to find out who disgusted me on my Facebook by what they were posting. And that made it really easy to get rid of a lot of people. So I didn't have to see their disgusting posts about the election um, because they were saying horrible things this summer. And I obviously that did not resonate with me remotely and I was disgusted by it. So if they got rid of all those people, thankfully, um, I think it was nice to see a lot of people my age being so excited about the electoral process and actually participating in it and being excited to see this change. Um, I think that that was something that I really enjoyed. Um, I also like just like being able to kind of escape from the scariness and the anxiousness about waiting to see like what was going to happen and being able to go online and, you know, see other people on Twitter that were feeling the same way making, you know, jokes, posting like funny memes that it was kind of like a, a place that you could just like escape to for a little bit that you didn't have to be so like nervous about what was going to happen. I know that my TV was on like 24 seven during that week um, after election day, because I just like had to get updates constantly because I was so nervous about what was going to happen. Um, like on election night, I remember I, like getting that feeling in my stomach, like from four years ago that I was like, oh my God, like what if this happens again? I don't know what I'm going to do then. Um, so I think that, you know, uh, social media, I think also played a big part um, in this election. I think a lot of people were tired of a president that constantly tweeted uh, his every thought and feeling. Um, and I think that uh, a lot of people were inspired by social media to go out and vote. So I think that it did probably, you know, help a little bit. Um, 
especially I know in the Georgia runoff election, I saw posts constantly about people encouraging um, Georgian citizens to go vote since runoff election. Um, polling numbers are usually a lot lower. So I think that, you know, social media was actually like a good thing with this um, election process. Um, but it also was a place that misinformation has been spread a lot. So it's kind of like there's two sides to it. Um, there's good things about it and there's bad things. You know, we have these social media apps like Parler where these people who are just, you know, entrenched in these conspiracy theories can go and just espouse nonsense and uh, get other people to believe it. So I think that, you know, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. There's good things with the electoral process and social media, and then there's really bad things. And I think that, you know, we can see that from what happened on the 6th. Matt, you got a chance to listen to Sergeant First Class Dandridge. So what did you think about his response in terms of why was there a difference between how the insurrectionists were met versus Black Lives Matters rioters and protesters this past summer? I mean, he hit it on the head. I mean, you're looking at it right here. I mean, I was at the protests, uh, the first couple of protests that were in Pittsburgh. And, you know, obviously you can go off videos online from other cities, but I know in my personal experience that the protests I went to, both of them were, I mean, they were large, they were peaceful, they were vocal. And yes, it ended up turning violent, but only once police came in with tear gas unwarranted. And I think the reason that, I think if they were, if it was not African-Americans protesting police brutality and it was some other cause this summer, we wouldn't have seen that response, but police don't like when people protest police brutality. So going to a police brutality protest and trying to put it out with police brutality, it's gonna turn violent. And, you know, people use the Antifa boogeyman and, and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, I, th I think you look at, at the causes that they're going for, you know, there's a very valid cause with over 400 years of, you know, systemic racism in this country and police brutality, I mean, that's a cause you can get behind. You can say what you want about property damage here and there, but I, I think that when you look at, they weren't out there with a politician's name. They weren't out there in Biden shirts. They weren't out there in Kamala shirts. They're there for a cause. You had a literally a conspiracy cult of crazy, mostly white supremacists all there off the word of you know their supreme leader and storming the Capitol to try and kidnap and potentially execute members of Congress and Mike Pence. And had, like uh, First Sergeant said, if that had been a Black Lives Matter protest, they would have brought in the National Guard. We'd have, you know, triple digit casualties. And it's just, it's sickening to see the double standard. And, you know, hopefully it's something we can stamp out. But I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty straight up answer. I mean, just right here. For those of you at home who can't see what he's talking about, he's pointing to the color of his skin, and that indeed played a role in the difference of responses that we saw in those two events. Going to close things out with Roya James, who she loves the electoral process. So with that said, we have a new administration. How do they move the country forward and get people re-engaged and re-believing in the electoral process in upcoming elections? I really think just speaking truth. I mean, we've lived in a space of um, dishonesty and secretive um, things that have taken place. And I think encouraging people to know that everyone is not like that. Um, everything that comes out of the leader, um, out of a leader's mouth is, does not have to be a lie. Um, I think the first thing that we'll have to do is just know that 
truth can be shared and that um, there is a space for some type of a healing. I don't know what that looks like, but I think there's space for healing and I think there's space for, um, for just truth. From DC to West Virginia to Pennsylvania, from Tennessee, for all of my guests, I wanna say thank you guys uh, for being with me. And to those of you at home listening or in your cars, wherever you are, I wanna say thank you for listening to Jay's World. Thanks for listening to Jay's World Podcast. Jay's World is brought to you by 5G Media and Gilmore Financial Services. Do you need your taxes done? Contact GFS at Gilmore Financial Services at Comcast.net.